Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture on this New Year's Eve. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you're having a good and safe holiday season. We'll look back a little bit here on our program today as we wrap up 2020 and also look ahead. We hope it'll be a much better 2021. Certainly, this has been a challenging year. But uh, we'll talk about some of the priorities of the National Farmers Union, some of the things they'd like to see done in agriculture under a Biden administration. That's coming up today. And a special conversation with my good friend Orion Samuelson, legendary broadcaster who's retiring after 60 years at WGN in Chicago. And we'll kind of reflect back and uh, talk with Orion about some of his memories over a, just a, an amazing career. That's coming up on today's program. But first, we look back at the year for beef trade. Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I talked with him recently about some of the accomplishments of this past year. It's been a year of challenges, as we've said, but of course there have been some accomplishments, some things that got done, some real uh, improvements for beef trade, and overall, all things considered, not too bad. I talked about that with Kent Backus. Kent, good to have you back with us. We have visited throughout the year on trade issues when it it concerns beef trade. We talked about some positives and, and some challenges. Overall, considering the year we've had in 2020 with the, the pandemic and everything else, how would you uh, grade this year as far as uh, uh, beef trade is concerned and the trade issues you've dealt with? Well, I would give... <laughs> I would have to break that up into a couple of a uh, couple of different grades, but I think overall we have just outperformed uh, all the expectations. Uh, when you look at the beginning of the year, we started very strong, and a lot of that had to do with the new access we had into Japan, into uh, the EU, and some of the other major markets. Then COVID hit, and that was just a big blow to all of us. Uh, and, uh, you know, fortunately, we were able to keep the supply chains moving. We were able to, to meet a lot of that demand in the Asian markets, and that's really brought us forward. I think, you know, you look at the last half of the year, we're performing uh, just uh, way above uh, expectations. And, you know, we're almost back up to our record-setting numbers of last year when you look at overall value. So I think we're going to finish the year strong. And uh, hopefully we will have a little more stability going into 2021 as we have these vaccines, as we start to see countries reopen and reemerge. Uh, but I think all in all, we couldn't have, uh, we couldn't have done any better than, than what we have expected. And I think we really surpassed a lot of those expectations when a lot of people thought that this was going to be uh, potentially another 2004 year for us, where we would just see, you know, catastrophic losses. And it's been anything but that. Well, that's quite an accomplishment given the disruption, not just in the, our economy here, but the global economy, to, to be able to uh, look back and ha- say we had that kind of a successful year, uh, that says a lot. Now, you mentioned the, the trade deal with Japan. That was a big part of it. What were some of the other factors you think that really contributed to the, the strong year you had? Well, I think, you know, the fact that we were able to finally get the USMCA ratified and and, you know, through Congress and implemented, I think that was huge. Finally having that stability in the North American market, knowing that we weren't going to see the borders close or see any further disruptions, that really helped us get things nailed down in our own backyard. 
but I don't think we can. I don't think that we can, uh, you know, discount <clears throat> what a gain we've had from this phase one of the the China agreement. And while we haven't seen, you know, this exponential growth uh, so far, but we have seen a tremendous uptick in our sales. And I think our future is bright in China. And so you look at you look at all of this growth in Japan and Korea and in Taiwan, all of these Asian markets. That's really where our strong future is going to lie. And the fact that we've been able to remove so many of these barriers, not only the tariff barriers, but the non-tariff barriers, removing the hormone ban, lifting the BSE restrictions in a number of these countries, that's going to open up more of our supply for those Asian markets that really want that high-quality and safe U.S. beef. And we are the preferred protein of choice, and that is where we want to stay. We want to continue to capture that demand, especially in those higher-value markets. Now, looking ahead to 2021, um, and keeping in mind that there are still legal battles being fought uh, over the election, so it's not official yet. But if indeed it is in Biden administration, uh, there has been talk of TPP coming back or us uh, being interested in getting back into into that agreement. Uh, what do you see there? What are you hearing? And what would that mean for beef? Uh, honestly, I, I think I think it's too early to tell. There's been a lot of speculation as to what a Biden administration would look like on trade. Would it be a renewal of a lot of the Obama-era trade policies? I think you could see some of that. But uh, I think we're going to see a larger footprint of climate issues, of labor issues involved in trade agreements. And I think that's going to make it extremely difficult for us to rejoin the TPP. When you look at the human rights concerns from some of these countries, when you look at the environmental concerns, uh, you know, some of those were, were sort of addressed in the previous trade deal, but I think to, to try to get those implemented now would be a huge lift. Uh, we, we don't have the leverage we once had uh, as a founding member of the TPP, so now we would have to uh, essentially have the approval of all these other countries. And uh, a lot of the changes that were made after we left are not uh, ideal for the United States, especially for some of the, the larger uh, intellectual property industries and things like that. So I think that's, I think that's going to be a heavy lift. I don't think it's impossible, uh, but I, it's not the same deal that we left. It has changed, and I think that in order to do that, we'd have to have all these other countries agree to it. But I think the even heavier lift would be to try to get that deal through Congress. You know, unfortunately, both parties kind of poisoned the well on TPP, uh, it was the you know, the the worst trade deal that you would ever see, and and depending, you know, I mean, both parties said that, so you know that that's going to be really hard to to change that mindset. Uh, I think we may see some bilateral deals with some of those countries. We may see even a different multilateral deal emerge, uh, you know, that has Biden's own footprint or fingerprints on it. Uh, but I think if we have another four years of a Trump administration, I think we're going to continue to engage. Uh, you know, directly with China. I think we're going to engage with some of these other countries in that area and, and push for bilateral trade. But regardless of what happens, uh, I think we are going to see a lot of pressure from Congress to include more climate policies, more labor policies uh, in any future trade agreement moving forward. And I think that's just a reality that everyone in agriculture is is starting to understand and starting to prepare for. All right. Well, um, in a year that's uh, 
been short on good news. Um, you've given us some. It was a good year overall, all things considered, especially for beef trade and uh, uh, kind of gives us a, hopefully a strong foundation to move into 2021. Sounds like you're optimistic for that. So we look forward to that and hope for a much better year in 2021. Good to talk with you, Kent. As always, uh, have a safe holiday season. We'll be talking again soon. Okay, thank you. Take care. Kent Back is Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Strong year for beef exports, even with the challenges of COVID-19. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joining us now is Mike Strands. He's vice president of advocacy for the National Farmers Union. Want to talk about the transition change from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. We know now, of course, that Tom Vilsack will be the new secretary of agriculture coming back to the position he held for eight years during the Obama administration. Mike, thanks for joining us. What what are your thoughts and what's Farmers Union's thoughts on the choice of Tom Vilsack to return to USDA? It's clear that President-elect Biden wants his cabinet to be able to hit the ground running on day one. And in, at USDA, you couldn't ask for anyone better than that who's prepared and ready and knows how to get things done at the department than former Secretary Tom Vilsack. Uh, so we're, you know, Farmers Union sees this as a real positive, given that uh, we've got so many challenges right now after the pandemic and years of a downturn in the farm economy and so many other challenges, including climate change facing us. Uh, Secretary Vilsack is just who you need to make sure things run smoothly uh, right out of the gate. Well, there's certainly a familiarity and he should be able to hit the ground running just with, because of that familiarity with the position and the familiarity with the ag community with Tom Vilsack and his style and his approach. But I guess what we don't know is what will the emphasis of the Biden administration be? We'll, we'll kind of watch that. We figure what climate issues will be probably near the top of the list. It certainly looks that way. Um, of course, the pandemic kind of overshadows everything. And in every department, in every uh, cabinet official, uh, we'll have to spend a lot of time thinking about and responding to the pandemic. But then as you, as you mentioned, climate does look to be at the top of the list for anything else. And both with uh, Secretary Vilsack's comments in recent days uh, about how climate is a uh, maybe not a bigger issue, but more at the forefront than it was four years ago when he left office, uh, that does make us think that USDA will have plenty of actions at their disposal to help out on the climate front. Uh, we'd also like to raise issues, Farmers Union would like to raise the issues of competition and market competitiveness uh, so that farmers get a fair shake in a marketplace that's uh, pretty consolidated. So we'd like to see that at the top of the list, too. We're talking with Mike Strands, Vice President of Advocacy for the National Farmers Union. Along with Secretary Vilsack, we also have a, a new pick for trade representative. What are your thoughts on that pick? Certainly, uh, nominee Catherine Tai has a lot of experience working on Capitol Hill as a trade lawyer and has been able to get a lot of work done, important work done in the last few years, especially uh, with the House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, 
we're hopeful that her choice uh, is kind of a way to find middle ground on some of the traditional uh, back and forth that we see in the trade policy arena, typically between the fair trade and free trade sides of it. Uh, Farmers Union has a lot of uh, concerns about how things have been running the last several years, particularly in our relationship with China. And uh, hopefully with kind of a new path, trade representative Ty, if she were confirmed, would be able to help break through that. What in particular are you hoping to see in relationship with China? Certainly. So the last few years uh, with the downturn and continued low prices uh, for much of the last few years, when our export market to China went away, uh, showed that China is extremely important to our farm economy. At the same time, we've also seen some bad behavior by China in recent years uh, as far as currency manipulation or uh, intellectual property issues. It's important that we address those and don't back away from China's uh, misdeeds on that front. However, if we go at it alone and we unilaterally take action against China, uh, we've seen what happens when China fights back. And the impact on our markets and on our bottom lines has been pretty severe. And uh, it's going to take a long time to rebuild that. Even if we've seen some improvement through phase one of the deal or kind of the follow-up to the uh, trade war, there's still a lot of ground yet to be regained. And hopefully work from the future trade representative, Catherine Tai, and former and future Secretary Vilsack can help bring that about. Will Farmers Union push for the U.S. to get back into TPP or, or something similar to that? So that takes us back a few years to you know, 2016 when both Secretary Clinton and presidential candidate Trump uh, both pushed to get out of the TPP. And in the years prior to that, Farmers Union raised a lot of questions about uh, TPP as well. Uh Maybe it's time to revisit the idea of TPP, but there's still a lot of negotiations that would have needed to occur in 2016 to earn Farmers Union support. Uh, And as we all know, the world has changed quite a lot since four years ago. So I think it's too early to know if we would uh, take up TPP just as it was four years ago, or if it probably needs a a greater review and we'll have to weigh the outcomes then. You mentioned another one of your priorities is competitiveness, and we know there's, uh, we at least we assume there's still a Department of Justice investigation going on into the uh, markets. Uh, not sure where that's at with the transition going on at DOJ as well. What would you hope to see the new administration do in that area? Uh, yeah, there's been a few uh, recent expanded investigations on how the market reacted. Uh, due to the pandemic, and if a lot of that was exacerbated or made worse by uh, lack of competition in so many of our markets. Uh, As you mentioned, the Department of Justice plays a huge role in that, but USDA has a role to play as well. Uh, Over the summer and into the early fall, we heard kind of progress reports on what the uh, situation is or what happened in the case of a couple interruptions, one from the fire a couple years ago, and now the pandemic and how that affected beef prices and pork for that matter. USDA has got a lot of work to do yet. It was far from an exoneration. It was saying that the 
process was still underway. So USDA will keep working on that. DOJ will keep doing studies. But what we want to see from the next administration is action beyond studies and enforcement and holding uh, our antitrust laws up as a, as a priority and as a way to make sure that farmers have a chance to succeed in this marketplace. Secretary Vilsack has been a strong supporter of biofuels, and there's certainly been this uh, back and forth uh, on biofuels, so many controversial issues and uh, lack of action by the EPA. Uh, We wait to see what the new approach will be in the new administration. What are you hoping to see as an approach to biofuels policy moving forward? Biofuels have given our rural communities an economic boost in the last 20 years or less and uh, are certainly poised to continue to build on that. Uh, we saw a lot of kind of favoritism almost towards uh, the oil industry and uh, in the last few years of the Trump administration here. And Secretary Vilsack's proven record of advancing uh, rural energy produced uh, from our farms as a way to uh, both help our energy independence, but also to uh, help our uh, farmers' bottom lines, uh, certainly valued, and we're looking forward to his work there. Some of the priorities need to be to expand the use of blender pumps and use our higher blends of ethanol. Uh, it seems like we've got some good signs out of the Biden administration on that front, or future Biden administration, and obviously the choice of Secretary Vilsack will play a huge role there. Uh, EPA also, and uh, the decisions that need to be made there will help to uh, see to it that regulations don't stand in the way of expanding the use of homegrown biofuel like ethanol. Certainly no shortage of issues. There, on the trade front, some dairy issues like with Canada. Secretary Vilsack will bring, will bring a strong dairy background coming from his position as president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Certainly will. And uh, Farmers Union knows the importance of our export market to helping uh, bring things into balance for our own dairy supply. Uh, but there, there, are concern, there are points that Farmers Union wants to continue to advance that exports aren't the only solution to our dairy situation and that with growing calls for consideration of uh, supply management in dairy to make sure that we're keeping our demand and supply in check it's not a race to the bottom on prices for dairy will be a huge part of our actions in the next as an organization in the next uh, couple of years in this new congress so we're uh, hopeful that we can expand our market opportunities abroad but also need to be mindful of uh, the need for supply management at home all right that is mike strands vice president of advocacy for the national farmers union as we look ahead to uh, the change in administrations and and the uh, policy changes, USDA, EPA, trade, a lot of key areas. Mike, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
Joined now by a good friend and a broadcast legend, Orion Samuelson, who is retiring after 60 years at WGN in Chicago and many other platforms. You have seen him, heard him, his voice, face, name, very recognizable to uh, people all across the country. And wanted to have a chance to kind of reminisce a little bit as Orion wraps up this fantastic career and kind of get an idea what's what's going to be the next stage for him as well. Orion, first of all, great to have you with us. Congratulations. What a career. Uh, what are you feeling right now as you kind of have a chance to, to look back on, on a, such a great career? Well, I guess my first thought is, what's all the fuss about? And then uh, the uh, various broadcasters at various companies across the country said, not many people, if any people, worked for the same radio station for 60 years. And, well, then I guess I get to thinking about it. And the other interesting thing is, when I was inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame, a few years ago, the gentleman who had been a broadcaster longer than me was Vince Scully, who did the Los Angeles Dodger games for a long time. And then after that episode, he retired. And then I was reminded, because I didn't know, I didn't pay attention to it, but I was reminded that uh, nobody has been on the same radio station for 60 years. So... I guess that's exciting, yes. Amazing accomplishment. Well, let's go back those 60 years. How overwhelming was it when you first walked into WGN, and could you have ever imagined that you'd be there 60 years? Totally overwhelming, and no, I could not have imagined, because I drove my 1949 Chrysler New Yorker Deluxe, which was a used car, incidentally, from Green Bay down to Chicago, and my first uh, episode in Chicago was four flat tires because I made the mistake of parking in somebody else's slot beneath the Tribune Tower, and so when I came out to go home, four flat tires. So that was my first experience, which certainly was non-agricultural. Well, you've had a chance to work with some of the legends in broadcasting. Tell us about some of those relationships, friendships, and experiences you've had. Well, the biggest ones, of course, are with the members of the National Association of Farm Broadcasters, because uh, when I came into the business, I was the green kid, the cow milker from Wisconsin, and uh, I looked up to uh, people like John McDonald at WSM, Bob Miller at WLW, Maynard Spies at WCCO, and on and on and on. And I guess maybe the most exciting moment I had was when John McDonald called me by first name at the Farm Broadcasters Convention, and Herb Plambeck, who was truly a legend in this business, a war correspondent before becoming the uh, farm director at WHO in Des Moines, and so I was really overwhelmed. And the other thing I was concerned about uh, moving down to Chicago was I'd be working with a lot of big names in the industry, and they wouldn't pay any attention to me, and they'd probably uh, go out of their way to not help me. And I couldn't have been more wrong because every announcer and person on the staff at WGN and that the many other radio stations where I had the opportunity to say hello to farm broadcasters like you, Mr. Adams, 
and that was overwhelming. But I found out they were as nice as could be and treated this farm boy just absolutely very well. I can relate to your story because I've told this story many times. I felt that I had arrived as a farm broadcaster when you first called me by name. That was a thrill for me, so I know what you're talking about. Well, Some of the, the legends at WGN you had a chance to work with. Uh, tell us about that. Well, Franklin McCormick, who was on until 5 a.m. and came on just before the morning show, the milking time, as we called it at that time, and so uh, he was our all-night man, and I think he had more women in America in love with him than anybody else because he had that sultry voice, and he said, recited poetry on the air and all of that. But that was followed by Wally Phillips, who uh, is a legend in the broadcasting industry, Spike O'Dell, Bob Collins, and uh, so many more uh, Jack Taylor and Virginia Gale, and of course, more recently, Max Armstrong, who has worked with me for, I guess, 42 years. What was it like doing agriculture reporting on a big city station? Well, I quickly learned because uh, for years on the smaller stations in Green Bay that I'd worked on, I would say very often nobody works harder or longer than farmers. And it didn't take long for a few members of my church in Evanston, Illinois, to say, I know farmers work long and hard, but we do too. And at least our kids get to see us and spend time with us every day on the farm, whereas uh, when, uh, when you go away to your job, uh, you don't have the contact with your family because you're gone for seven or eight hours. And uh, so I quickly had to learn that I better use some new phrases to talk about farmers and the work that they do because, yeah, many people in the towns and cities work long and hard too. So that quickly changed my tone and my approach. And then when I started getting calls like, what are frozen pork bellies and other similar calls, I started to realize that I know about all of this stuff, but a lot of my audience doesn't because they're from a big city. And so they would uh, want to know the answers to those questions. So that started my uh, business of talking about agriculture and farmers and what they do, but it, that they do it for the city people who buy and consume their products. Yeah, a lot of non-farmers have learned a lot about where their food comes from by listening to you and watching you over the years. Um, you did TV. You were doing TV as well, still been doing TV, of course, but a big part of the job has also been being out on the road, take the show out on the road. Uh, we're all familiar in this business with remotes, and that was a big part of it, making that connection with that audience face-to-face. Well, when I was introduced as the new farm director at WGN Radio, the company didn't do it from the studio. Instead, I was introduced at the M&W Farm Power Show at Anchor, Illinois. I was introduced as the new farm director at WGN, 
and uh, it gave me a quick start to what I was going to be facing because we had the old national barn dance. We had Lulavelle and Scotty and Dolph Hewitt and Red Blanchard and Bob Atcher and uh, you name the big names. As a kid, I had listened to on WLS on our radio on the farm in western Wisconsin. Now, suddenly, I'm working with them, and they're calling me by name, and my golly, what a change that was for me, because I was not that big a star in Green Bay, Wisconsin, but suddenly, at WGN, with those remotes at the state fairs and the Farm Progress Show and uh, Ohio Farm Science Review, I even did a noon program from England, from the Royal Agriculture Show, and uh, didn't have the band on that one, but I certainly had a lot of British farmers, and I distinctly remembering at that event that I interviewed Princess Margaret, and I've never forgotten one of her answers about uh, what she does when she's not out at the events, and she says, well, she says, I play the princess part, and I let my hubby do the other part, which includes <laughs> horses. <laughs> yeah, great story. Nothing like, though, being out on a remote broadcast and doing live radio, uh, because, you know, you don't get that second chance at it, so you get some uh, unscripted moments, don't you? Yes, indeed, you do, and... Uh, I tell you, one of the things that my uh, teacher at the American Institute of the Air in Minneapolis uh, told me when I was a student, uh, where in six months I learned how to be a radio announcer, uh, n I've never forgotten one thing that that told me, because he told me that, remember this, if you are in an empty room with a broken microphone lying on the floor. Don't ever say anything you wouldn't want hmm. your five-year-old daughter to hear you say. And I've never forgotten that. That's why uh, when I use a cuss word, very rarely, my wife Gloria turns around and looks at me because she knows it's something serious. So that, That's such good advice. And I, you see people all the time today get caught on a hot mic. You, you always assume the mic is hot, right? You you never take that for granted that it's turned off. You never do because you'll get yourself into trouble. And that's why I have never forgotten what that instructor told me at the uh, school in Minneapolis. We are talking with longtime farm broadcaster Orion Samuelson, who's retiring after 60 years at WGN and, of course, uh, just has spoken at events all across the country, traveled around the world, met so many people. He shared some of those stories with us already. I want to take a break. When we come back, more stories with Orion, some of the people he has talked to, some of those great experiences over the years. Stay with us here on Adams on Agriculture, a special edition as we're talking with farm broadcast legend Orion Samuelson. Stay with us. Back in a moment. Okay. 
I'm Mike Adams, and this is Best in Class, brought to you by Bear DeLauro Complete Fungicide. We're joined now by Ray Lello. He's corn and soy fungicide production manager for DeLauro Complete Fungicide. Ray, thank you for joining us. What do you see as the multiple benefits farmers will see when they use DeLauro Complete Fungicide? DeLauro Complete adds a third mode of action, and that third mode of action is going to increase a few key pieces of what we've seen previously with DeLauro or even the other players in market. So the first piece is is increased activity, tough to control diseases. So when we think of gray leaf spot, we think of light mold, we think of brown spot in corn and soybeans. It's going to improve that activity. It's also going to improve standability in corn and canopy closure in soybeans. So when we have tough winds in corn or we want to close the canopy to ensure that we don't have incremental weed pressure or we have the ability to have better photosynthesis in soybeans, that's going to be a really heavily improved performance versus its predecessors. A new product like this would seemingly just add to those benefits that they've seen in the past. It absolutely will. So when we think about, again, those tough-to-control diseases that I just mentioned, and we think about the opportunity to increase consistency and deliver that increased yield consistency that growers have come to appreciate and expect, a Delara Complete does just that. So when we have trialed this product over the last five or six years, it has beat Delaro as a specific example, by three or four bushels in corn and by two or three bushels in soybeans. So fundamentally, it's done significantly better uh, than our predecessors. Where can farmers in the meantime learn more about Delaro Complete Fungicide? There's a few different places they can go to learn more about Delaro Complete. So the first one is delarocomplete.us online that has a lot of really good information around it. The trials we've run, uh, and we've run hundreds of trials over the last several years, so it's a good chance you've got a really local trial you can latch on to. You can also obviously tap into your local bear reseller or your local retailer to find more information. This has been Best in Class brought to you by Bear DeLauro Complete Fungicide. I'm Mike Adams. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to this special edition of Adams on Agriculture. We have the pleasure of speaking with Orion Samuelson, who is retiring after 60 years at WGM in Chicago. Orion, you've shared some stories with us, but what about some more? Some of the people you've you've interviewed, some of the experiences you've had over those years that really stand out to you? Well, let me begin by saying that I've had the opportunity to travel to 44 countries with television crews to cover agriculture around the globe and. Uh, I've had the opportunity to interview nine presidents of the United States, uh, one of them in the White House because George H.W. Bush invited me into the White House to do the interview. I've uh, interviewed and worked with 26 secretaries of agriculture. Some of them were uh, filling in for the predecessor who left uh, his uh, career, mm-hmm. but uh, I've had the opportunity to talk to the uh, president of Taiwan, the uh, Mikhail Gorbachev of uh, Russia, and uh, I've also talked and shaken hands with uh, Fidel Castro from Cuba when he was alive, and so whenever I make speeches, uh, Mike, I generally start my speech by saying, who could ever have imagined that you would have the opportunity to talk to those people and to really get some time with them. And let me tell you a story about Senator John Kennedy, because 
when I met him, he was a senator, and he had come to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and on a, as a matter of fact, 1960, when he was running for uh, president, and he came to Green Bay and held a news conference, and uh, several reporters, including me, said to him, uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about dairy policy, Mr. Well, at that point, he was a senator, and he did. As the news conference was coming to an end, one of his aides came up to me and said, would you have a few minutes after this press conference? And I looked at him, and I said, well, yes. And he said, the senator would like to talk to you. And so he said, if you have a few minutes, come down to the bar and we'll have a scotch together and you can talk to uh, Senator Kennedy. And so I did that. And the senator, who, by the way, drank pretty good scotch and uh, said, (laughs) you know, we don't milk that many cows in Massachusetts. So can you answer a couple of questions on what important policy would be for dairy farmers? And so. For about half an hour, I sat with the senator, soon to become president, in the bar at the Northland Hotel in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we talked about the dairy industry. And I've never forgotten that moment because three years later, I was the announcer who broke the bulletin on the air, Dateline Dallas, Senator or President John F. Kennedy has just been shot. And so two vivid differences with the same man, but uh, just uh, one of the ideas I've had the chance to visit with many of the celebrities uh, in my world, at least, uh, Gene Autry and uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and even talked to Dizzy Dean at one time. Uh, We didn't talk about agriculture, but we talked about baseball. And so uh, that's why when I wrote the book about uh, five years ago, I titled it, You Can't Dream Big Enough, because I couldn't dream that big, and I always opened my speeches with, who could have imagined that a cow milker from from Wisconsin would have a street in Chicago named after him and would have the opportunity to visit with the people that I have during my career? But can I mention one more thing? I participated at the Illinois State Fair in the situation with then-Governor Ryan when we named an outhouse after Mike Adams. (laughs) And I think that sign is still there. That was a great time. The night before at the governor's mansion, we'd had an event for you and uh, with the governor, and I was privileged to be the MC. And I mentioned, I was kidding the governor, I said, all these years I've been covering the state fair out here, and... You know, Orion has a, a livestock building named after him. I couldn't even get an outhouse named after me. <laughs> the next day, you and the governor took care of that. I'll, I've got a picture of it on my wall. I'll always remember that. I appreciate that. Before we let you go, Orion, what will you miss the most, you think? People like you and uh, the agricultural people, the farmers, the ranchers, the best people in the world. I'll miss talking to you and talking to them. And my wife has already told me, don't retire again because we can't answer all the emails or all the requests for doing what I'm doing with you right now, interviews. So I guess I'll stick around, do some things uh, like sleeping in, but uh, pay a lot of attention to agriculture. Oh, and I have to ask you a question. 
Have you ever worked with a Secretary of Agriculture who is going to make his second run at the job? No, I've thought about that. This is a first for us, right? I mean, to have a a Secretary come back and do it again. It is, yes. It indeed is a first. And uh, I just was talking to Max Armstrong, and I said, Max, I can't remember that ever happening. And he said, I can't either. So I guess we're part of history again, Mike. My first secretary was Bob Berglund in the Carter administration, so I've talked to all of them since then. But I was thinking that the other day. Yeah, this will be a first to cover a, a secretary for a second go-round. So we'll see how that goes. Looking forward to working again with Tom Vilsack. Well, Orion, I wish we had more time, but we could go on and on in the 60 years. There's so many memories. I just thank you for your friendship, uh, your, your help and guidance over the years, and for all you've done for agriculture and for broadcasters, thank you so much. Wish you the very best, you and Gloria. Thank you very much, and we're going to enjoy life because we have a home in Arizona, but because of the COVID-19 situation, we haven't been out there for about eight months, so I'm looking forward to spending some time there when we can finally get around the COVID-19 situation. You stay safe, and as I tell everybody these days, wear a mask, wash your hands, and stay away from people. Good advice. Thanks a lot, Orion. Wish you the best. Special edition of Adams on Agriculture We as we talk with retiring farm broadcast legend Orion Samuelson.